Good morning and welcome to the Snake River Lib Podcast. It's the 25th of September and we're facing a looming government shutdown. I don't even know what to say to that. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. I don't know how many times. What happens? People that are deemed non-essential are furloughed for a period of time. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth on national television about how they can't pay their mortgage and they don't know where they're going to get their next meal. And in the end, government will be funded. They will get paid for the time that they were off. And we'll go on like it never even happened until the next time. Now, we mentioned this last week with Spe- Speaker McCarthy when he sold out on the debt ceiling. You know, the Republicans did the right, well, at least it, on that argument, at least the Republicans passed a bill to extend the debt ceiling. Republicans, as of today, and government runs out of money on Saturday. Saturday night at midnight, so Sunday morning. There's nothing being put forward. Now, what they will likely do is they will try to do some sort of a a, a short-term continuing resolution. But I want to be very clear here. Republicans can sit there and point the fingers all they want. Speaker McCarthy can point the finger all he wants, but he is the Speaker of the House, and the chairman of the committees answer to him. They don't answer to President Biden. They don't answer to Chucky Schumer over in the Senate. They answer to Speaker McCarthy. The Speaker, in January, during the bruising fight to get elected speaker promised a return to regular order that 12 appropriations bills would be put forward and sent to the Senate. Republicans, this is not rocket science. This is your job. This is why you were elected to go to Congress. You weren't elected to go to Congress to get reelected. Okay, I know that you spend most of your time doing that. And here's the typical schedule for a legislator is it's unusual that they work Fridays. So Monday through Thursday, except Mondays are showing up. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, well, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, essentially, they're actually allegedly legislating. They go, they do um, constituent contacts over the weekends or on some fact-finding boondoggle starting on Friday. Won't be the case this week, likely, because of the impending shutdown. Besides, I wouldn't go on a boondoggle if I didn't know I could get back, which they very well may not be able to do. And so, Three days a week they have, because the rest of the time they're either they're either constituent outreach or they're fundraising. 
one of the benefits of the duopoly, the two-party system, is that they spend pretty much all their waking moments, except for when they're actually needed for a floor vote, fundraising. Isn't that exciting to know that you're spending 170-some-odd thousand a year per representative and they're spending most of the time raising money either for their re-election or for the party. And they have to spend both. And that's how, you know, they get these, uh, how committee uh, assignments are done based on the exposure needed, you know, based on their ability to fundraise. The more money you're able to raise, the more likely you're going to get a chairman's seat. Unless you're somebody that is from a swing state where you're, seat might be a swing seat and so you either need the exposure so you're given a high profile position is either a ranking member for the minority party or chairman of some committee if you're the majority party (coughs) excuse me and then you spend your time fundraising from that position Anyone that's ever donated to a campaign, by the way, knows what risks entailed in doing that because you're going to be deluged with emails wanting money from all sorts of different people. You know, all I wanted to do was buy a Vivek hat, and I could never find the place to do it, but there's plenty of opportunities, you know. And I know that buying a hat with the candidate's name on it is is a fundraising tool, but come on. You know, if I'm going to donate money, at least give me something for it, especially a candidate that's not likely to get gain any traction, gain other than perhaps as a vice president or a cabinet post. And so what does Congress do? They're supposed to budget. That's primarily what they do. They spend money but they're not very good at it as far as being responsible, responsible spending. They're horrible at responsible spending. Republicans had it made after the debacle with the debt ceiling increase, where they rolled over like a French prize fighter. They should have went their committees They should have passed out their bills in regular order like they promised they were going to do, like Speaker McCarthy promised he was going to have his caucus do. Put them to the House, to the floor vote, and then send them to the Senate. And then you send the clear message to Chucky Schumer, the majority leader. And you attach it to uh, the idiot McConnell and the dingbat vice president, who technically is the president of the Senate. And you send it saying, here are the 12 appropriations bills. Now we suggest, and you make a big deal about this. So you, you go before the public, you know, promises made, promises kept. Now it's the Senate's job. You you go to the press, you say, we have sent over the 12 appropriations bills. And you do it before, you know, sometime in, in the summer. 
you know, before the summer break so that they have time to actually do something with them. But you also make very clear that there will be no omnibus, there will be no continuing resolution. That you gave them months to take your bills, modify them to fit the Democratic agenda, and then send them to conference. Because it would be better to have 12 smoke-filled rooms negotiating these things than have one with the, the speaker, minority leader, um, member of the president's staff, the Senate majority and minority leaders, putting their staffs putting together an omnibus bill in the middle of the night and then putting it before the members for a vote when they haven't had time to read it. But you make very clear, you say, Majority Leader Schumer, Madam Vice President, the House has transmitted to the Senate 12 appropriations bills for fiscal year 24, which starts on October 1st, on Sunday. We will not be advancing a continuing resolution. We will not bundle these 12 bills together. You have however many months to get your version of them, and then we'll have a conference and we'll talk about them as individual bills. I'm going to tell you. Um, and, then, and then you say, and here's what we're going to do, Mr. Majority Leader Schumer. We're not going to blink. And here's why. 70% of the government, 70% of government funding is non-discretionary. Meaning that it's pretty much automatic. And then I would point out that a government shutdown and the furloughing of federal workers will only demonstrate to conservatives what offices have too many people in them. And that when Trump, Donald Trump wins, I don't think he can, but we'll just go with that for now. Washington Post poll has him up by 10 points over Biden. Biden, I think, is toast. I don't think he survives to go run in 24. I mean, he'll be still be president, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But right now, I, I'm not sure he's going to be the nominee because right now things are looking really bad. And Washington Post is a full-court press to get him off out of the nominating process because Democrats' worst-case scenario is that he gets nominated and then he can't – either he dies or he's not capable of even campaigning from his basement. But back to the story. 
just there will be no CR. There will be no omnibus. The House will not. We're going to adjourn. Um, last week of September. And we won't come back until the fiscal year starts. Or until we have a, you know, I mean, we, we won't take that week off if we have budgets and if there's progress for them. But otherwise, we're not going to be there for a CR or an omnibus bill. And then leave. But the problem is Speaker uh, McCarthy is one of them. He's one of the smoke-filled room guys. Some people are referring to it now as the Uniparty. They hate Donald Trump. They hate everything he stands for. So when the question is, do they hate Biden more? And this is what I wanted to talk about. You know, there's, I was listening to David Webb, and he was, they were talking about things. And I, somebody, a caller called in, and they said, what we need rid of is Biden. And the problem is, and people should realize this. It's painfully obvious to me, but maybe it's because I'm a junkie at this. But when it comes to Democrats, the White House is a plug and play. It doesn't matter who is sitting in the Oval Office because the policies are going to be the same. I mean, in reality, you could say that that President Biden is violating the uh, amendment barring more than two terms of a president because this is Obama's, all of his people are in there. This is essentially Obama's third term. He's just not the one up in the microphone not being able to communicate. And it doesn't matter whether it's Biden, whether it's Harris, which, by the way, I don't think it will be Harris because as bad as Biden looks, Harris is worse. Yesterday on, I think it was Meet the Depressed, uh, James Clyburn, who I credit and many other people credit with rescuing the Biden candidacy in 2020. So Joe Biden owes him everything. He owes him the White House. Clyburn did something that you need to understand very clearly. When Democrats go to race, that means they have nothing. Bob Menendez, the uh, senator, corrupt senator from New Jersey, like that's an oxymoron, you know, corrupt senator from New Jersey. Uh, feds found $480,000 in cash and gold in his house. Mortgage paid off, new car. Apparently, he was working for the Egyptians, or greasing the skids for the Egyptians. Kind of like what the Bidens did. Menendez has gotten a mistrial before on corruption charges, so this is not any, 
any big surprise. I mean, the guy is as corrupt as they come. It's surprising that the DOJ is going after him, but I suspect the only reason they are is to deflect from the Biden crime family, which makes Menendez look like a piker, a pretender. $100,000 in gold bars in his house. How about that? Um, race. You know, I mentioned race. I want to talk about that for a minute. We hear all the time about the discriminatory, discriminatory policies uh, in place with employers and such across the country. You know, how, how black kids can't get ahead. Well, let me tell you why. And you need to look no further than a bastion. We always talk about the inner cities or these big cities being run by Democrats for generations. And so you can't blame Republicans for that. Well, there's another facet that you can't blame Republicans for, and that's the education system. Baltimore, which I think is third highest in the country as far as the spending per student. Now, mind you, that's not because all these kids are from rich neighborhoods. They're not. It's just federal state spending on these schools. So upwards of close to $20,000 per kid per year is what the Baltimore School District spends. 40% of the high schools in the Baltimore School District, I think is like 12 out of 30 or something like that. I don't remember the number exactly. Did not have a single senior proficient at grade level in reading and mathematics. So is the equity or the equality issue and equality of opportunity, is it because of race? Well, not because of race directly. It's because the Democrat apparatus, which make no mistake, you know, the NEA owns the Democrat Party. The NEA runs the education system in this country. The union, the teachers' union. They can't blame Republicans for this. And while predominantly the ones most damaged by the fact that out of 40% of the high schools in the Baltimore school district, not one person in the 12th grade was tested proficient at math or reading. Not one person in 40% of the high schools. Yeah, sure, I know. It's because Republican policies, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. You know, Biden always talks about middle out, bottom up when he talks about ec economics as opposed to the failed MAGA policies. By the way, just as a reminder, Make America Great Again is what MAGA stands for. And so Biden's, by, Biden, by his own mouth, has stated that he hates America. 
because he uses Make America Great as a slur. He looks down on you if you think that America should be great. Just FYI. Out of the rest of the high schools, only like 13% of 12th graders proficient at reading and math. You want to know why there's a perceived inequality? It's because the teachers' unions and the school districts have failed their constituencies. Now, mind you, they don't want to let you out of your tra- of their trapped systems. School choice is is like garlic to a vampire in movies, right? Hold up garlic, they they run scared. And so, what is there to do? I'm going to link a, one of my favorite videos. It's a Hayek versus Keynes. You know, one of the key aspects of Keynesian economic theory, which is what most leftists, uh, whether they're they're Democrats or even the uh, a part of the uniparty Republicans espouse Keynesian theory. In fact, most Republicans, they don't, not even necessarily the uniparty, but even conservatives, because they they just have different priorities. The whole premise of Keynesian theory is that sooner or later we're all going to be dead. So, what does it matter? And you can see that today. We're doing nothing about Social Security, which is going to collapse in less than 10 years. Probably a lot less than 10 years. We're not doing anything to save Medicare, which Medicare, by the way, is even worse off. And the problem with Medicare is that part of that, it's not directly part of that, but it's associated with it, is Medicaid. And thanks to the Affordable Care Act, more people than ever are using Medicaid via the various states' um, systems as their primary health insurer. The Keynesian model doesn't matter because, you know, sooner or later we'll all be dead. Or for an elected official, member of Congress, when you ask them, well, what are you going to do about this? Well, it doesn't matter. I'll be out of office before this is a problem. The only time it will matter is when they start heading over towards pensions and saying that we're going to have to cut pensions back. We don't have the money for it. Many states have done that. Many cities have done that. Could you imagine if you're expecting to receive $40,000 a year in your pension and you wake up one morning and your city's in bankruptcy and so now you're only going to be receiving 25% of what your salary was. 
How do you make up that difference? Because of failed promise, because when the pension funds, they estimate, overestimate when they promise benefits, they overestimate the return on their funds. Or like what happened in 2009 when when Obama guided uh, Chrysler and GM through bankruptcy and many, many pension funds who had, in particular, Chrysler funding, you know, was loans. They lost everything. No 8% return, no 2% return. In fact, that money was just gone. And yet the pensions have to deliver. And so what happens? That falls back on the government. You want to fix the problem, get government out of all of these enterprises. You know, I mentioned Biden, you know, always talks about trickle down as a bad thing. He talks about how his Bidenomics is bottom up, middle out. Well, here's the deal. Nothing is more top down than progressive policy that dictates how many gallons of water your toilet can flush or what the flow rate is in your shower head. Or what kind of stove you can have in your house. Or what kind of temperatures you can set in your house. Or whether or not to produce or allow leases for oil, gas, coal, or even rare earth metals to make batteries. See, that's all top down. I guess there's a reason why they say it's not trickle down. Because it all stops at the top. It's a Snake River Lib.